0: This episode of the Get in the Game podcast is presented by Sports Spectrum and the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. We invite you to check out our website, sportsspectrum.com, for more content on the intersection of sports and faith. Articles, devotionals, podcast episodes, all of it can be found right there at one place, sportsspectrum.com. And while there, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, as well as subscribe to our magazine, you can lock in a one-year subscription for just $18 or two years for just $30. We've got a great conversation ahead for you. So thanks for tuning in this week to the Get In The Game podcast with Scott Weinbrink. Welcome to Get In The Game Podcast with your host,
1: Scott Linebrink, former MLB star and current water mission advocate.
0: Oh yeah, and he also happens to be our dad, so let's dive right in.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Get In The Game Podcast, and I'm your host, Scott Linebrink, where we talk about where faith in action intersects. And today I've got a guest on that I'm really excited to talk to. He's a communications major so this conversation is going to be easy. This is Kyle Gibson of the Philadelphia Phillies. Kyle, welcome.
2: Kyle, good to see you man. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, you and I have had a lot of chances to interact uh, throughout the mission field through our um, our both of our involvement with pro athletes outreach and of course a lot of people here listening today to Sports Spectrum know what that's all about but um Maybe just tell us briefly what what is PAO?
2: Yeah, PAO. The best way I describe it to, to guys that I'm telling about uh, in the locker room is it's a a big uh, FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes for professional baseball players, um, and that's the, that's the MLB side. But it really is a big FCA you know conference in uh, the NFL and now the NHL, and and it's you know for those sports. Um, and really, any professional athlete has access to resources that, you know, becomes a big FCA meeting and a big uh, a group where, you know, athletes can come together and, and have a space where they can share and, and be poured into. And um, it's it's a really cool experience for my wife and I, and we've been really uh, honored to be on the board and, and uh, excited to show up anytime we can.
1: I would echo all of that, and the relationships that we've been able to make through that network has been so cool. Um, has has really expanded, you know, just our uh, ability to to interact with Christian uh, brothers and sisters that that are in the professional athlete space themselves. So, uh, thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for promoting that. Um, I want to give folks a little bit of an introduction to you. You're an Indiana native. You grew up in Indiana, uh, grew up a Christian in a a Baptist home, and you were drafted. I didn't realize that you were drafted by the Phillies, the team that you now play for, what, 15 years later. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it uh, it was a really special moment coming out of high school, getting drafted by the Phillies, and I didn't decide to go, excuse me, to Missouri Until this was when the rules, a little bit different, uh, you know, you could wait up until that first day of school to decide to sign or not. So I waited up until I think the Monday before I was supposed to be at school on Wednesday or Thursday. And I woke up and told my mom that we needed to go school shopping, because I'm going to go to Missouri. So, um, you know, it was a tough decision for me. And when I got traded to the Phillies, uh, in 2021, um, you know, obviously talking to my dad and, and, getting the chance to call him and tell him that and then just you know the the memories and and how everything tends to come full circle and um you know pretty cool to to be back here in the organization where uh, it could have started you know uh, back in 2006 and you know god's timing's perfect and the path that he's had me on has been uh an incredible one and i wouldn't go back and change it uh for anything so just glad to be here now and, and getting this chance
1: Well said. Well, I think you made the right choice going to college because then just a few years later, you came out as a first round draft pick uh, by the Twins and you were drafted by them in, in you know, You obviously were afforded some good opportunity being a first round draft pick and you made it up to the, the big leagues relatively quickly. But then you had some struggles. And actually, as I was going back and looking at some of the key points in your career path, you had been an established big leaguer for three or four years before you had a little bit of a hiccup and had a, a rough start to the season and got optioned to AAA to work on your command and work on some stuff before you came back. And I'm I'm just putting myself in your shoes and you know, a guy that got sent down a lot himself too. Um, but but having been established already and then getting sent down was not really something I experienced. But could you talk about that of of what that did to your mental psyche and and how that really uh, helped prepare you and and maybe build into your mental fortitude and your approach to the game after that?
2: Yeah, that was that was a tough start to the year. I was coming off 2016, which was you know by far my worst year. Struggled with uh, a few arm injuries that you know weren't debilitating to where I had to go on the IL for you know the whole year. But I think I spent. You know, a little bit of time on the IL early in the year um, and then came back and kind of pitched through a few things and getting ready for 2017 uh, I just I didn't feel right at all in that offseason. so that was the year I really overhauled my shoulder program overhauled my delivery to, to help keep me healthy and going into spring training I felt like a completely different pitcher from 2016. Um, threw the ball really well you know my velocity was back my command was back everything was good and then you get to the season and I had probably the worst you know, eight or nine star stretch of my career to start the year. And um, we had a good team that year in 2017. And I kept looking around um, and saying, man, I'm the reason why this team is losing every five days. And um, you know, a lot of I, guilt is probably the wrong word or shame. It might be the wrong word, but it was in that realm of emotions, right? Where you kind of just subconsciously pull back into yourself and say, Hey, I'm going to not be so outspoken and and outward uh, personality because I'm the reason we're losing. And um, it was really a blessing. And, and honestly, I was kind of waiting for the moment that I got sent down because I just I didn't want to be there anymore um, with how poorly I was pitching. It was just it, it wasn't fun. Um, and I just kind of lost sight of you know what my passion was and what my purpose was and um, you know, I was doing some things off the field with, you know, serving in the community and, you know, hosting groups at the field and my heart just wasn't in it. And, um, I was really just distracted and caught up in the struggles on the field. And when I got sent down to, to AAA, uh, there were a couple guys there in, in, on that team that I had met already, uh, I had known from spring training and they were young guys who. Quite frankly, we're probably going to be looking at how I reacted to the situation um, because those were the guys that I was uh, obviously sent down to get better as a pitcher. But those are the guys that I, were, I was meant to be around and that I was meant to answer questions for and pour into and um, help them along in their career. And um, thankfully, when I got there, uh, I had an incredible talk with a sports psychologist for the Twins, Dr. Aberman. Uh he lived in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, uh, and we were playing the Paw Sox. And um, he just really sat down and said, Hey, we need to talk about the difference between wants and needs in your life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really hadn't thought about that. And he's like, You really only need three things food and water, shelter. And as a man, you have this need to for love and respect. And uh he's like, Outside of that, everything else needs to be a want, and you need to realize that. And um, I knew that I didn't need baseball in my life. I I knew that it was a decision to play, but I kept taking myself back to situations on the mound where I said, okay, all right, I really need a ground ball here. All right. I need to get this strike. I need this. And he just let me know that when you fail at what you need in life, psychologically, it has a big impact on you. And, um, but when you fail at something that you want to do, you had the decision to do it or not, and it doesn't have the same impact. And, you know, the combination of that, and then understanding that I needed to be present right where I was, because my purpose was to pour into people and have an impact on the people around me positively. Um, those two things really allowed me to to shift my focus, you know, and and shift my priorities back where they needed to be. And, you know, when I was called back up, not long after, um, you know, it just it shifted how I talked to myself, it shifted how I looked at you know my role in the clubhouse and and how I was meeting with those you know groups of kids at the field and and doing the community work and being a dad and being a husband. and um it was just a shift in a time period that I needed to help me grow,
1: wow. Kyle, I want to th- th- that's such a great perspective right there. And I think it it relates to so many people. It related to me as I was listening to you talk about that, because I think about our lives and our faith journey and how so often it's happened with me where, you know, I I come to a failure. Um, I've sinned. I've done something where I feel like, yeah, I'm unworthy to be doing what I'm doing. Nobody is going to listen to me. My credibility's been tarnished. You know what? What makes me think that I'm even uh, worthy enough to get up here and talk or to to do something for for whoever I'm doing it for? And then we we close off. We withdraw. And we do exactly what you just said, where you know we just say, I'm, I'm just not going to be as, as loud about this or as, as boisterous. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. The enemy wants us to, to put shame and guilt and put that weight on us where we think that, you know, I'm, I'm just going to sit here in the corner. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk on the sideline. Um, but just as this podcast, we talk about, you know, faith in action. Serving is what allows us to move from the sidelines to the game. And get in there and and really engage and understand that we're all broken um, and that's the beauty of our faith is that that god gives us a chance to be restored and he comes to us and he shows us that he loves us and that jesus loved us enough to give his life for us and all we need to do is trust in that and i love how how you just provided a parallel to that in your career too
2: yeah i was uh this is not a, a biblical reference but i was watching a tv show the other day And one character was talking to another character and uh, the one character was really struggling with, you know, shame and, and kind of like not being able to live up to certain standards. And uh, his, his essentially his superior, his boss said, uh, shame is like a faucet and Mm -hmm. shame is the faucet is in our own mind. We have the ability to shut that faucet off whenever we want. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, like I said, it wasn't a biblical reference, but, it really hit me hard because like you think about, you know, the times in our lives that, you know, we do feel shame or we do feel guilt. It's normally not somebody else in our life putting that on us. It's normally us putting it on ourselves mm. and we have the ability to shut that off and and not let that impact us in a negative way. If we just realize, you know, what's been done already for us in our life and, and what our faith uh, allows us to be rescued from.
1: True words right there. So you talked about wanting to be a positive influence, how when you came back you had a renewed perspective and you really wanted to pour into people. Uh, One of the ways that I know that you've done that is through Big League Impact. Tell us about Big League Impact and what it seeks to do.
2: Yeah, Big League Impact was uh, started by our good friend Adam Wainwright um, and I think 2013 with his brother. And uh, their goal then was centered around fantasy football and, and giving fans a chance to play play fantasy football with some St. Louis Cardinals. And um, you know, Adam is just such a dreamer and has such vision for for how he's gonna help people. And um I want to say it was sometime in 17 slash eighteen that offseason that, you know, he asked me if if I would, you know, come on board a little bit more with Big League Impact and and do a little bit more and and um you know help spread the word about it. And really our goal is to to provide hope um for, for people in their lives where there's no hope. Um, you know, restore dignity and and try to help them, you know, feed their families and and help lift them out of poverty uh, and help themselves lift lift themselves out of poverty. And um, there's a lot of ways that Big League Impact is doing that today. Um, And uh, a lot of what we do is try to give players in baseball a chance and an avenue to raise money for things that they're passionate about. So sometimes that's, you know, hosting a fantasy football league in a city. (coughs) Excuse me. Sometimes that's like Spencer Patton in Illinois hosting a cornhole tournament. Uh, Sometimes it's like Elizabeth and I hosting a a clay shooting tournament, uh, a sporting clay tournament uh, in our hometown. So uh, it looks different now because of how Adam has grown the vision for Big League Impact. Um, But at this point, you know, we're trying to to just give fans and players a chance to interact, uh, doing things for good, raising money for good and raising money for causes that are worthy. And um, we don't necessarily have one cause that we're going after because for us, it's it's what is important to the player. You know, what is important to them to raise money for and, and how can we really just get fans involved and give fans a chance to, to really feel like they're a part of something bigger as well? Because we all have that desire. We all have that piece of our our heart and our personality and our mind that we want to be involved in something bigger because we want to feel like we have the ability to make a difference. And we all do. And Big League Impact has just given Elizabeth and I, you know, a different avenue to, to do it in a few different ways. And, and we've been, you know, it's just been an honor to work alongside Adam and our staff and, and be a part of that.
1: So you mentioned your wife Elizabeth as being part of this. And, um, I would love for folks to hear the story about, uh, one of the things that is very close to your heart and you talk about serving the poor and, and I know you have a real heart for Haiti. Um, and that first started when Elizabeth went on a wives' trip, right
2: yeah, so we we had been doing work in the dominican um our our agent Randy rally <clears throat> excuse me he he started doing some work in uh the Dominican in two thousand and nine right around the time I was drafted, so we had been to the Dominican a few different times um and and worked with the community there and um Jency Boyer, Blaine Boyer's wife, and and a few people they knew were were going on a trip to Haiti. And we had, I mean, even though Haiti and the Dominicans on the same island, we had never, you know, had a connection to Haiti. So Jency, uh, you know, got to know Elizabeth really well in 2015 and a few other wives in Minnesota and said, hey, we're taking an all-women trip to Haiti. And uh, this is who we're going with, and, and this is what it's going to look like. And I'm not going to lie, I was nervous, right? You know, it was in the middle of baseball season. Um we just had one child at the time, our daughter Hayden. Um, so we had you know dependence and like <clears throat> you know, it was just one of those situations like man, this is I want to go with her because you, I just felt that need that I needed to be around her, right? To protect her. But um what a what a cool trip for them to to go down and learn more about Help One Now and, and things that Help One Now did down there. And um it really kick you know, what we have done as a family over the last seven years in Haiti. Uh, working with another organization in Haiti as well, uh, that we've had a connection with, and you know, finding out that Help One Now and and Bright Hope International's work was less than a mile apart and we didn't know anything about it until, you know, later on. And um, Elizabeth's heart for services just it's it's inspiring because of everything, <clears throat> excuse me, that she deals with as a mother on a daily basis. And she just views things differently when she gets over there and and she does things differently and Um, I was just so excited to hear from her when she came back, you know, that fall, you know, telling me, Hey, Haiti is somewhere that we need to be doing more work and it's somewhere where there's a big, a giant need and a a need for hope, a need for, for food and water. And, and, um, you know, she was really impacted by it and it's, it's really kickstarted, you know, what we've done as a family down there, you know, when it comes to, to those groups.
1: Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that because I know uh, you and I. Then many years later, after this trip, uh, we're down in Haiti together, and we were actually at that same community of Ferrier Village. And I just think it's so cool how all of these connections you talk about yourself and Blaine, and I believe it was Blaine that came to me and said, "Hey, we've got to help out this community. They're they're doing great work." And you mentioned Help One Now being the organization that was really caring for these children that were. Uh, victims of trafficking. And they were creating uh, a place for them to be rescued and come back and be loved and fed and educated and cared for. And um, and that really opened the door then for Water Mission to join in with Help One Now and come in and put in the water system inside there that was serving those kids and then ultimately that surrounding community. But then being able to go there with you and some of the other guys and see that and see the the school that was being built and Uh, for those listening on this podcast, Kyle and uh, and others uh, built this amazing school out of containers, shipping containers. And this thing was three stories high. And I remember it was in the final stages of completion and just seeing, you know, how efficiently that came together and how they were so excited about finishing it and bringing in kids from around the community and educating them. And I just, I looked at this as such a picture of, of of one you know god's work in terms of the body of christ coming together and bringing all these connections and then these partner organizations and you mentioned bright hope too all working in the same area and when we can link hands and link arms and work together and and bring in people that are uh, so passionate about serving people it, it just it exponentially increases the impact of the work there
2: yeah, it was, um, <clears throat> you know, that trip was was really, on many levels, it was really impactful for Elizabeth and I, um, you know, a couple of those guys that, you know, I talked about in 2017 that were in AAA um, were on that trip, uh, you know, they had since been called up and, and it was one of their first trips to to go and see, you know, something like that um, you know, around the world and, and have since been involved with helping sustain that school. And, um, you know, that was a really special year in 2019 that, you know, as a team in Minnesota, we had a, a massive all win project that we were working on every time the twins won, we were donating to charity. And, uh, between Brian Dozier, Logan Morrison, uh, Zach Duke and myself, uh, and our wives, you know, we ended up raising a lot of money to bring this school together. And, um, it was the first high school of its kind, probably within maybe 60 or 80 miles uh, until you got over to the to the city of Cap-Haitian. And, um, you know, there, there was a school in this area that you were talking about with the with the rescue shelter um, and the school only went up to, you know, what would essentially be sixth to eighth grade here in the United States. And um, the local leader there, John Alix, when when he found out that we were doing this school, you know, he was already thinking about phase two of the school. He's a, a visionary and a dreamer, but um, they had the plans and they had the local leadership to get it done. And, and you know, it was just up to us to, to figure out how we were going to bring people together here in the States and and pool together our ability to give and, to, you know, help make this possible. And um, the, the, what ended up being the cool thing about these two groups is that without even realizing it at the time, you know, people that live in Bright Hopes community less than a mile away, you know, those kids are going to walk to this high school and go to high school at some point and have the opportunity to go to high school for the first time, maybe since their parents moved to this village, you know, if their parents were lucky enough to go to high school at some point, most of them probably weren't. So um, as we know here in the States, uh, education is a key that unlocks families to be able to, to lift themselves out of poverty in a lot of situations. And it's really no different when it comes to third world countries and countries that don't have a whole lot. Um, Haitians that are able to educate themselves to the high school level, have the ability to go to college finally. And Haitians that have a high school education, just like Dominicans with a high school education are able to get so many different jobs uh, that afford their families opportunities to eat more often. Uh, have clean water more often. And um, it was just a really cool thing to be a part of. So then to see water mission come in and uh, we actually, I think we had passed a water mission well on the way to this project. Um, So you guys had already been in this community uh, and then now to see uh, this whole building put up, you know, right next to the church, right next to the school and it's gonna serve the surrounding community that was in such need for clean water. Um, it was just a really impactful trip for us and, and to see three different organizations come together, um, which really just doesn't happen very often. You know, we're, we're in a time where a lot of organizations are, they're not fighting for dollars, but there's a competition for donations and to have three organizations in one area come together, impact that community. Um, it was just a really special trip and, you know, thankful for you to be on it and to, to share that with a lot of people that we knew.
1: You bet. Yeah. Can can you share any um, share with our audience to just like what that does for you at a heart level? Um, if you can maybe put that into words, I mean, having an experience like that, I mean, you mentioned all of the people that were on the trip, the work that was done, the vision that we gained. But, but like from a heart standpoint, how does that change you?
2: Um, so, I mean, in, in so many ways, it's easy to take, you know, a lot of things for granted. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's easy to take you know things like you know the water that you and I have been drinking just here the last 30 minutes you know take it for granted. Um, it's easy to take for granted the food that we have on our table and um, the reason and, and the big impact that it has I think on me is that you see a different level of, of appreciation for basic needs that I have access to every single day. Um, in our locker room, I have access to not only just water, uh, water that has a pH balance, water that has purified on so many different levels, this kind of type of water, water with carbonation in it, water with flavoring in it, right? Like, it, it's just, it's at our fingertips. And when you see someone uh, fill up a glass of water for the first time, that they know that they can safely drink without having to boil it, without having to to do so many things to it and not have to worry about disease and contamination, Um it just does something to you on, on a heart based level um, that makes you hopefully have a greater appreciation for what we have here in the States. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, just the amount of of thankfulness and hope that it brings to those communities. Um, you can't leave there and not be impacted on, on more than one level. You just can't. I would, if somebody is listening today and they've been, uh, you know, teetering on or on, you know, on one side of the fence or not on whether to go on a trip like this through your church or through a group that you know, whether they're faith-based or not. If you have the ability to take that trip, I would suggest you take it. And uh, if your kids are of age to do it, I would suggest you take them and uh, just, just get an understanding of the challenges that these groups are facing, um, but an understanding of hope that you can give to someone uh, just by you know supplying a basic need of drinking
1: water. Amen. You know one of my memories from that trip, and I often go back to this picture that I'm by no means a photographer, so I believe that this this picture was grabbed by the Holy Spirit and put it in my phone. But it's a picture of your wife. and we were walking along in the orphanage there in Ferrier Village. and Elizabeth stopped for just a moment because there was a, a lady. And I'm guessing she was a worker at the orphanage and she was tending to a, a very young child. And there was just a look in this child's eyes. I remember looking and saying, that child's not well. Um, that child is suffering. But this woman was, was sitting there holding her, and I remember there was a, a small bowl of water, and, and I'm guessing she was either giving her a bath or just trying to cool her off, and your wife just stopped. And we were all you know on a tour, and so we're going from one building to the next, and we're learning about this facility and the vision, And so in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, we got to get to the next spot. You know, we don't want to fall behind. And your wife stopped and took the time to kneel down next to this woman and this baby. And I grabbed this picture of her reaching out and holding that baby's hand while that and that that woman, you know, locked eyes with Elizabeth. And I just thought, wow, this is a moment right here where, you know, Elizabeth is is stopping to connect with this baby and with this woman and just. To me, it just said, I see you, I see your struggle, I see what you're going through and I care for you. And I'm, I'm reaching out and I'm, I'm extending my hand and it was such a gracious gesture and such a, a gesture that was moved with the spirit of love. And, um, and I just, I so appreciated that. And I think I've shared that picture with you and Elizabeth, but for me, that's an image that's burned into my mind about what it means to be compassionate, what it means to serve other people
2: yeah it's probably one of my favorite pictures of my wife that that I've seen and and still have um, I've actually tried to find ways to get it made into a painting because it's just it's such a such an impactful photo um, it shows her heart it shows you know the heart of the woman uh, in the photo so so Ferrier village um, essentially um, uses widows who have been you know thrust into a, a really tough situation themselves and and they act as foster mothers on site for, you know, three to four children in their home that they live with. And, you know, this was, you know, one of those widows and one of those foster mothers who um, just needed to give this one or two year old, however old the the baby was uh, a bath or or cooler down, like you said, and um, it's right on the side of the sidewalk. It was, it was right out in the open and, and using the resources they had and, um, Elizabeth just felt moved to to kneel down and, and to give assistance, and um, I think you know there's obviously a part of her as a mother that knows every mother at some point needs help, and even though that was not that woman's child, um, it was just a, a really cool opportunity for her to, like you said, you know, let that mom know one the work that she's doing. Mothers around the world, you know, have the the probably the most thankless job. You know, where they they have so many things they have to do on a daily basis that really don't get noticed and don't get said thank you for. And then here you have this woman taking care of a child that's not hers and in a situation that's obviously not ideal. And um, I think it was just Elizabeth saying, hey, like you said, we see you and thank you for doing this, because this child, even though maybe they don't realize it right now, they're going to have an opportunity at life because of this woman that maybe they would not have been afforded, you know, had she not been there and, and able to take care of her. And um, just uh, probably one of, like you said, probably one of the cooler moments on that trip for sure. And one of the cooler moments I've I've got to witness my wife serving and, and her doing that.
1: Kyle, you came back from that trip, obviously changed from a heart level, um, but there was some physical things that you came back that you carried with you. Um, can you tell us about that?
2: Yeah, so uh, in 2019, we had been down to the Dominican, like I said, starting in 2009. So we had been to the Dominican and Haiti probably a combined 10 times Um, and uh, knew what to eat, knew what to drink, knew what not to eat, what not to drink. You know, you know the drill and um, came back and, you know, just had a stomach bug that I knew wasn't right, you know, um, but couldn't really nail down anything that I had eaten that I had drank outside of the norm, because once again, we kind of we know what to do and what not to do. Um, found out that I had E. coli when I got back. Um, it was the E. coli that has something uh, inside of the molecules called the Shigella toxin. So I could not take antibiotic because if you take the antibiotic to kill that form of E. coli, the Shigella toxin does not get killed and then it spreads to your body and starts shutting down organs and attacking your body. So mm-hmm. I had the rougher strand of E. coli um, on top of everything else to come, but um, three or four weeks later, it was still really kind of wreaking havoc on my body. And I uh, went and saw the doctor, got a scope done, and found out that I also had a, a moderate case of ulcerative colitis, uh, an autoimmune disease that, you know, attacks your intestines. And in my case, the lower colon um, caused a ton of inflammation and, you know, just obviously was, was helping the E. coli kind of wreak havoc. And more than likely, uh, the doctor think that I probably had a mild case of it, you know, leading up to that trip, you know, whether that could have been for a couple of years or, you know, just a couple of months. Um, and then because of that, you know, it allowed the E. coli and on that trip specifically allowed, you know, maybe one little bit of the, of the bacteria to really kind of take hold and wreak havoc because I already had you know an immunodeficiency and, um, it kind of spurred this journey for, for the last, you know, three years, um, of really, uh, learning a lot of things about myself. Um, you know, understanding that, you know, n- understanding that through struggles, even though it seems like, uh, you're going through it alone, uh, you're never alone. One, uh, God's always by your side. And, you know, sometimes he's, uh, doing work that you don't even see and can't see it until later. And, um, it just really, uh, it had me questioning a lot about, you know, why I do certain things, mm. you know, had me, you know, really kind of soul searching on maybe the reason why it happened. Um, but also understanding that, you know, maybe a jumpstarted, uh, treatment for ulcerative colitis years before I would have found out. Um, and when it comes to inflammation in your colon, you know, colon cancer is one of, I think it's one of the, the most preventable and the most treatable um, until you get so far down the road and, and then there's not much you can do about it. So it, it could have been a situation that, you know, jumpstarted treatment for me, you know, years ahead of time that I'll just never know about. But, mm. um, you know, thankfully, I've been able to find uh, a couple of medicines over the last year and a half that have, you know, really allowed me to uh, not be impacted. Um, you know, greatly on a day-to-day basis, and allow me to go out and pitch and and be the dad and be the husband that I need to be. Because for the second half of 2019, probably starting, uh, you know, just before All Star break, um, started losing weight. You know, start I ended up down about 20 pounds that year. Uh, not sleeping. You know, trying to pitch through it, trying to kind of put on that face and put on that front. Uh, of that everything was okay but you know the people that were closest to me obviously knew that knew that it wasn't and knew that I was going through you know kind of a major flare-up at the time but um, was able to find a medicine and a, and a doctor that was really able to to get things shifted the right way and and thankfully the last two years have been really good.
1: Yeah I remember seeing you in that 2019 season going up to Minnesota for a big league impact event and I mean, seeing you for the first time in several months, and and thinking, I mean, you don't, you don't, you're not a guy that has a lot of weight to lose. And I mean, (laughs) I I remember asking, like, buddy, you all right? Um, And I know that it it was impacting you after you know hearing about your struggles, and and that was the first time that I'd realized that this was a result of of that trip, likely or at least had been exacerbated by it. Um, And and just seeing how it impacted everything. I mean, it's your way of life. Baseball is a highly physically demanding sport. And so when you're not able to get proper nutrition or, you know, you're dealing with things physically, it, it impacts you out on the field too. And that obviously was the case for you. And, and so I know that was a real struggle for you. It, it cost you something.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, all the the injuries and, and being sent down and, you know, all the the struggles and kind of battles I've had throughout my career, uh, I don't know that there was anything else that was as as much of a mental struggle as that was. Um, you know, it, it's just something that you know I've had the chance to to be involved a little bit with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. You know, not as much as I wanted to because of you know COVID over the last couple of years has kind of kept us out of hospitals, out of out of care facilities that are are helping kids and helping adults with you know UC. But um, it's just not a topic that. That really people want to talk about. Obviously, um, when I was put on the IL finally uh, in September after a start in Detroit, um, I'll never forget it. I, you know, probably for two months, you know, a, a month at least, I had gone out and you know every five days made to start. And slowly, uh, the fifth inning, you know, started feeling like the eighth inning. The fourth inning started feeling like the eighth inning. The third inning started feeling like the eighth inning, and I, that started in Detroit. Uh, when I took them out for the first inning, I felt like I was already gassed after hundred pitches and uh, just physically wasn't able to, to do what I needed to do. And, you know, talked with, you know, our media in Minnesota there, you know, when I was put on the IO and I basically said, listen, I really want to talk about this one time and one time only if possible, because we're very talking about how many times I'm in the bathroom, how many times I'm doing this, how many times I'm doing that. And it's just not a conversation that anybody wants to have, not a conversation that um, I really wanted to have, you know, at the time. So really only my teammates and trainers and wife and, and some of my family, not even all my family really knew, you know, what I was going through because it's just something that I I didn't want to talk about. I didn't want it to be a focal point. And, um, you know, it, uh, that's kind of how I chose to do with it. Probably could have done it a little different, you know, taking more time off, you know, gone on the aisle sooner, but, um, you know, as as a starter, I only got 32 chances to do this every single year. And uh, I try to be out there for as many as I can.
1: Well, and, you know, to think about this in light of everything, you know, th- this was a trip, honestly, that was by choice. Um, and looking back on it, did you ever ask yourself, man, you know, I wish I hadn't gone on that trip, or were there any regrets uh, to doing that? I wish, I mean, obviously, you wish things would have been differently, but. Um, was there any part of you that, that wished that you, you hadn't gone down there?
2: So, um, to answer your question quickly, no, um, I, uh, I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And our story is, you know, thankfully it's a part of a bigger story, right? It's a part of God's story of, of, you know, all of humanity and everything that goes on. And, um, I believe that, you know, my story is being written every single day and, um i'm given struggles i'm given triumphs for many different reasons and um i can't just believe that everything happens for a reason when things are going good and that i get to tell the good side of the story um and not you know the struggles and not the bad side of the story and um you know whether that has afforded me opportunity now to uh you know meet with crohn's and colitis foundation members you know in the hospital and and meet with kids that are going through a similar situation um I wouldn't have had that same opportunity to talk about, you know, my struggle without going through that. Um, You know, I, I, so no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back and and not go on the trip and not be a part of, of everything we were a part of. And actually the last two years, it's been tough because, you know, COVID hasn't allowed us to make the trip. And um, one thing that I'm, I can't wait is, is Elizabeth and I have kind of talked about when we're, when our daughter Hayden is ten or eleven years old, and when our kids get to be that age, we can't wait to take them, you know, overseas and and take them to Haiti and take them to the Dominican. And um, you know, it's been really unfortunate we haven't been able to go down there and and see those people in those communities that that we've been able to partner with. And um, it's probably the thing that I'm looking forward to most, uh, whether it's this offseason coming up or you know 2023, whenever it is. Um, I'm looking forward to going on another trip, and and I'm not gonna not going to allow, you know, this situation and the E. coli and ulcerative colitis to determine because I don't think that's how it's meant to be. I don't think it was brought into my life to keep me from doing things. Um, I think there was a a bigger reason that I ended up with, with this autoimmune and, and and with UC that maybe I don't know the exact grand scheme just yet, but, um, definitely not a regret and not something going to keep me from going back.
1: Kyle, you've got a wonderful story, and to me, your story really summarizes, um, as we talk about serving and what a life of service looks like, that serving costs you something. Serving may cost you some health, as it has in your case. It may cost you um, some financial resources. It may cost you time, Um, but to hear you give your story and and now on the backside of it, looking back in retrospect, um, it's worth the cost and uh and i really appreciate your encouragement here today i appreciate you sharing your story and all that you do to serve other people
2: yeah i I appreciate it scott um you know i think when it comes to the cost um i think it's supposed to cost us something you know doing something for someone else um it's not called servanthood for for it being cheap and for it being easy you know if we go back and yeah i think there's a, a long history here in the states of you know, slavery and servanthood being uh, very much a negative thing. Um, But I think, you know, when you go back and you look in biblical times of how Jesus served other people, um, it takes a a certain amount of humbling yourself, takes a certain amount of putting your pride and putting your ego away and being unselfish and making a a specific decision to help other people and to put yourself aside. And anytime you do that, uh, it's going to cost you something whether it's time with your family, whether it's you know finances to spend on yourself, um, whatever it might be, health, whatever it is, uh, it's gonna cost you something. And my hope is that people that when they see the cost that it, it does eventually hit them, they realize that the cost is worth it. And I don't think you're ever gonna have a moment where you're unselfish and where you're doing something for someone else that you're gonna say, man, that just wasn't worth it. Um, because I don't think that's how being you know, a servant leader or um, you know, being someone who serves the community, I don't think that's how it's set up. It's always, almost always gonna be worth it for you. So I would uh, encourage people to find ways to serve the community around you and just watch how your impact grows. And maybe you don't even realize what your impact's gonna be. I think a lot of us don't. I don't think a lot of us understand the lives around us that are impacted when we're positive, when we love other people. Um, you know, maybe it's down the road that somebody comes up to you and says, hey, that moment when you did this, you might not even remember it. That really impacted me in a positive way and kickstarted A, B, C, D down the road. Um, so serve other people, be unselfish as much as you can, and uh, understand there is going to be a cost, but it's always worth it.
1: Gibby, well said. Uh, it's been great having this conversation with you. Blessings
0: on the rest of your season.
2: Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Get in the Game podcast with Scott Linebrink, part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. You can connect with Scott and follow him on Twitter at Scott We want to invite you to subscribe to the other shows on our network. We'd also love for you to check out our Sports Spectrum magazine full of great stories and content covering the intersection of sports and faith. You can subscribe at SportsSpectrum.com. It's $18 for an entire year subscription. Again, the website to subscribe is sportspectrum.com. Thanks so much for listening.